Before we begin this episode, just a trigger warning. Help is always available. And if you need to speak with someone today, call Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14. You've reached the Entertainment Hotline, a chatter podcast. Listen as celebs dial in to chat with Anita Annabelle, chatter.com.au and Media Week's Head of Entertainment. Hi, it's Danny Lively here promoting our new documentary from Stan called True Drugs. Let's talk about Revealed. This is such an insanely inspiring story, but it's also very jarring, haunting, all of the words. Can you give me, though, the elevator pitch for Revealed, Danny Laidley, True Two Tribes? Um, it's uh, my story, uh, my life story in, in my own words. Um, having been given the, um, the opportunity and the platform through Jam TV and Stan, um, you know, we put the good, the bad, and the indifferent in there. Um, so at times that was um, quite difficult, um, particularly for Donna and I through lockdown. Um, and you'll see on the uh, on the film where you know I have some pretty pretty low days, but we I think we had to show all that for. Uh, the viewer for them to get the full picture of, um, you know, what we what we've gone through over the last three or four years. Yeah, what was it like reliving it? I mean, we will touch on everything, but I'm just curious now that you've said that you've, you know, it, it's quite must be so uncomfortable to relive every single detail. Um, as there becomes a gap in time from. You know what happened through the media and and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I can actually look back on it objectively now because I am in a much better a better space. Um, there were still parts in in the film where um, you know when when my son is talking on there, um, when Donna's talking on there, like I I get the right in the feels, <laughs> um, and um, but but in all, you know, we're very happy with uh, telling the whole story and and how it's come out. Yeah, I can imagine it must be really difficult. Also, just like watching people that you love sharing how it affected them as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, I, when I was going through a bad space, I really withdrew from everyone. Um, when my mental health. Um, was deteriorating and, and then being diagnosed with the gender dysphoria. Um, and then, you know, there was a lot of self-sabotaging in, in that period of time. Um, and that made me withdraw even more and become um, a recluse, so to speak. Um, and not wanting to reach out because of, you know, the shame, the fear, the embarrassment of, you know, um, how I was feeling. I didn't know how family or friends would react. Um, you know, I didn't know how the AFL world would react. Um, and that was, you know, so very scary. But invariably, um, my ability to sit down with all and sundry um, was taken away from me. Um, and that caused a lot of grief for my family, for particularly, you know, my children. Um, and, and it's caused us a lot of pain over the years. Um, and, you know, as as a family, we're, we're still working through that. Um, 
and being able to, you know, forge those strong relationships that we had, um, you know, before, you know, it all it all started to turn um, pretty nasty at times. Mm. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I mean, but how wonderful that you're here to tell the tale. Well, I'm very lucky. Um, you know, a lot of transgender people um, live in isolation. Um, they don't have, you know, immediate support around them. Um, and I'm so grateful um, that friends, family, um, the AFL world um, have stood by me, stood with me, um, have been very uh, proud of, um, you know, the person I am. And I'm, you know, again, I, I feel quite blessed. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't understand the term, can you explain that a little bit more? But gender dysphoria is a medical condition that um, your your inside or your soul, your person, um, so to speak, because the reality is, you know, we just live in this shell. Um, and how I've always felt on the inside has never been congruent with what I've seen um, and been portrayed to be. Um, um, is not congruent. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I felt this way my whole life. Um, I wouldn't tell anyone um, until I got so bad with my mental health. Um, one day at my counsellor, it just it came out. Mm. Um, I had no intention at that point, but I think mind, body and soul at that point in time was saying to me, enough's enough, uh, we need to do something, um, you know, about this. Um, and so this has been lifelong for me. Um, and I, I, because I had a public profile um, in the first phase of my life, it's a big adjustment for a lot of people. Um, and that, that, that takes time. Um, you know, family, friends, the, um, the AFL world, but they've been so very, very um, supportive. And I just feel now um, there's still some black holes there, you know, with some of my family, um, which we're working through. Um, you know, I, I feel at home. I'm, I feel calm. Um, you know, I'm not running away, continually running away from the world. Um, you know, I can be me and I can be present um, and I can actually enjoy on a daily basis, you know, how I live my life. Mm. Did you understand that you had gender dysphoria or is that something that you were questioning, why do I feel this way? Yeah, yeah. So that was from a, um, a, very, a very young age, you know, from as far back as about six years old. And... You know, I carried those thoughts and feelings all, all the way through, you know, into being a teenager and, you know, growing up in Perth in the, you know, 70s, mid-70s and early 80s, um, there's no internet um, back in those days. When, <laughs> you, you know, you can go on and, and search and read, um, 
you know, there's no chat forums where, you know, people can converse and ask questions and this is how I'm feeling. There was none of that. Um, you know, one, one of the, the very first times um, I started to get some clarity was I was probably 16 or 17 um, in Perth and um, I stopped at um, a news agent. Now, I can't remember the reason um, that I that I stopped, maybe to buy a paper or... Um, but I, what caught my eye was um, a magazine on, on the magazine stand. Um, and there was a gorgeous woman um, and it said, Chula, um, transsexual woman. And I sort of looked at it and thought, oh, is that what I'm thinking? Um, and I thought straight away, I've got to have that magazine. Um, but it happened to be either Playboy or Penthouse, so it was wrapped in the um, the plastic cover, so you couldn't. <laughs> um, so I, look, I eventually got um, a copy of it, um, um, and I started to read her story, and I'm thinking, oh my god, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, and, and I suppose, you know, reading her story back then, um, so. Um, her name was Carol Costi. Uh, she um, uh, starred in um, one of the new James Bond movies at that point in time, but no one knew she was a transgender woman and she was outed um, by the British media, uh, very similar to the way I was. Um, so lo and behold, you know, 30 years later, that happened to me. But that article was so very significant for me then in my late teens to, mm, okay, I can start to feel and understand this a bit more. Um, and then become curious um, and you try and find um, things out um, without asking people or um, things like, which was very difficult back in those, those times. Um, and you know, so it went on from there. And then obviously, you know, um, then through the 90s and, you know, the early 2000s, the internet comes along and you read and you research. Um, and I started to get a really good understanding at that point. Um, but I still questioned, is is that me? Is that, you know, um, you know, and I was... You know, I would roll around these thoughts, you know, daily, nightly, um, and it becomes all-consuming. Um, and at times you think, you know, is is that me or am I crazy? Um, because you don't really, you're getting a better understanding, but you don't still really know. Um, so but then through my mid-20s into my 30s, I was still quite sure, um, but... As I was getting older, um, um, it became more pronounced. Um, it more um, more noise in, in in your head, you know, rolling around, you know, all these different um, scenarios when your the gender dysphoria euphoria was was peaking, um, and then some days it would be really quiet. Um, and now I can look back and say. And I've been able to sort of 
peel back the layers and and label it as little Danielle. Um, you know, so the, the the days when it was peaking, you know, she was um, wanting attention, perhaps um, trying to find a way um, herself. Um, and then other days, it was as I said, it was very very quiet. Um, and then the thing is, uh, you can't outrun gender dysphoria. So the further I went in my life, um, it, it will get you in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, and my diagnosis was. You know, if you think of zero to 100, um, you know, from very mild gender dysphoria to 100 at the other end, being, you know, um, quite suicidal, self-harm, low self-esteem, hate what you see, your body, you know, whether it's your face or your body as a whole, um, you know, is very hard and, and I was um, diagnosed you know in the high 70s so um, you know I, I came to the realization that I couldn't continue on how my life was going um, you know after I'd been diagnosed uh, diagnosed the, the only um, the only choice for th that I was confronted with was um, whether to be here and be myself um, or leave the world in sadness. Um, and, you know, it has been brought to my attention that some people have thought, you know, I've chosen this over them, but I, I, I've chosen to um, be here, be myself, be happy for those around me. Um, that was the choice, you know, that I made. What an choice to have to make you know like that's it's mind-boggling to me yeah you know and we're telling my story now and i'm so very very grateful but you know there's a million other stories out there just like mine um and the feedback from the book and even the uh, the previews that we've been sort of dropping over the um last couple of weeks um i've had through socials, um, a lot of people reach out and going, oh my God, that was me, that was me, that was me. So that's helping people, um, you know, going through their own their own issues, which I'm very grateful for, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, imagine there's got to be a reason why you went through it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what, I, I, I would change um, my life. Um, I've had a great life. What what I would change is um, how it became public. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I do want to talk about that. So you were arrested in St Kilda in 2020 mm -hmm. and your mugshot was released, was leaked by a senior officer. I mean, I can't even imagine how that felt. How was that moment for you when you realised you were splashed across a page, a front page of the newspaper and went viral for it basically? Yeah, well, uh, you know... I was on this toxic dance floor, as I've said before, mental health, um, uh, my drug use, you know, it spiralled absolutely out of control in such a very, very short period. Um, and the gender dysphoria had just been diagnosed. Um, and I didn't know, so I became more embarrassed about the drug use than the gender dysphoria. Um, so, um, 
you know, I was in a, a, a relationship um, at the time. Uh, there was a property dispute. Um, there was an intervention order put on me. Um, so I actually went to my property um, and I rang the police and said, I'm breaking the intervention order. You better come and um, get me and get me they did. Yeah. So that was that wasn't a very good mistake uh, to make. Um, so then I, I got arrested, um, which was 400 metres from the St Kilda Police Station. Um, so then I walk into the police station, I'm handcuffed, and when I come through the side door, there's probably at least a dozen police in uniform um, and plain clothes. Now, this is 8.30 on Saturday night in St Kilda, which is a very vibrant um, suburb in Melbourne. Um, and you would think that they would be out on the street or pretty busy. Um, but no, they were all there uh, laughing, giggling um, at me. Um, it made me feel like an animal in the zoo when I was probably at my most vulnerable. Um, and then uh, the, uh, I get um, a mugshot uh, taken, you know, with all of them, in, you know, sort of off to the side. And then I go into the interview room and um, I'm talking to them. And through like a two-way mirror um, on the other side of the table, I, I could see movement, but I didn't really know what it was. And what it turned out to be was um, a police officer from another police station who just happened to be there on business, um, saw who it was um, and took photos. And those were the photos that were on the front page of the Herald Sun. Yeah. Um, and then, and then from there, I I didn't get bail um, because I broke the intervention order. Those are the laws in in Victoria, um, and so um, I was taken to the custody centre where um, you get searched again, you get processed in, um, and then another mud chop was taken, and so then that that goes on a police system called the Leap system. And then a police officer somewhere in Victoria went into the system and took the photo, took a photo of my photo. Um, and then so those those pictures went went viral. Um, and I didn't know this um, because I ended up being in in jail for um, nine days on. But my lawyers told me the, the Sunday morning or the Monday morning, I think it was. Um, so I missed all that. But I remember talking to my son and he just said, we've got to hang on to our hats here. This is a firestorm. Um, and I was not, I was very, very vulnerable. Um, I got placed in the psych, psych ward. Um, um, so no clothes, just the smock. A mattress on the floor, no pillow, um, because I'd self-harmed um, only two weeks before that, um, and I hadn't. Leading up to um, being arre arrested, um, I hadn't slept for like nine days. Um, so my decision-making processes were very ordinary. Hence, you know, ringing the police and what, you know, what what came of came of that so 
those those are the things that I would love to take back. Um, but you know, I can't now. Um, and then you know, so I made some mistakes leading up to the rest. But then from the arrest, like I take no responsibility for that. I was at my most vulnerable, and um, and the police duty of care um, and looking after people in the community was non-existent. God, that story. I want to ask a question, but I feel like I'm. It's going to sound so dumb asking this. No, there's no, there's no um, dumb questions. Everyone is still learning. Um, I'm still learning, so please go ahead. Okay. It's not what you think it's going to be. I actually just wonder, Is do you think what happened besides the way that you were outed, do you think it was a blessing? Um, no. <laughs> um, because while, while everything was going on, which I just explained, um, so I'm seeing my uh, endocrinologist and my gender psych every week, maybe a couple of times a week at that, at that point in time. And um, we had just started with, particularly with my psych, to say, okay, how are we going to present this to the world? Because I, I probably was a little bit naive and thought that I could just wander off and transition and live my life. Um, and then we spoke about how about we um, contact the AFL and how about we ask them or tell them the story um, and ask if they would support, stand beside me um, as an organisation that I'd given, you know, over 30 years of my life to. Um, so we were in the throes of organising that. So it was going to happen. But then that obviously... Just not on your terms. No, it wasn't on my it wasn't on my terms. But it obviously changed the course of your life to get to I mean, going to prison, then going to rehab, getting clean, you know, that that is a silver lining. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um all yeah, all those things. Um, um and, and life really um you know, working in and playing in the AFL for uh, uh, coaching in the AFL for all those years, you have a very disciplined uh, regime, um, and you know you work all week. You might get a day off during the week, and you work all weekend, um, and it's just you're on a treadmill, um, mm -hmm. so to speak. And then when I left the AFL in 2016, when I started to emotionally transition. Um, and the other thing I did, which probably wasn't a good idea either, is I started to self-medicate with hormone replacement therapy without seeing a doctor and still not being diagnosed at that point. Um, so, you know, I was taking estrogen um, and um, testosterone blockers for a little bit. Um, and that was then, you know, put that in the mix with all the other stuff that we've just spoken to so that wasn't um a very good thing and my body started to change rapidly um you know because at that point in time i was living life as myself the only the only places i, I wasn't was at my work um which became just was a nine to five job weekends free so um 
you know, all those uh, things just started to, you know, layer up, um, so to speak. Um, so it was a um, it was a very difficult time, um, and you know, it, um, you know, there weren't some very good um, choices, but you know, I, I can understand um, why I was making them. Um, which, um, you know, invariably, um, you know, led to the chain of events that, that we, all, we all know. Being in the public eye and experiencing what you experienced, what changes do you think need to be made in terms of how we report things in the media or how people really care about your private life? I mean, it's your private life. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I've had that public um, profile, um, you know, quite high. Um, you know, there's only 16 AFL coaches at that time um, in the whole country, um, and you know, you get to you able to live with it. You you can control your narrative a little bit through the media. Um, and so I learned a lot from from that. Um, I suppose the biggest thing that the media just report what they knew and and saw. Mm. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of it was wrong, um, and that's why you know we made the the film. Um, but the biggest thing to come out of it has been um, the legislation now in Victoria has been changed um, for what information, private information, the police can or can't disseminate. Um, and look, the, the, the three police officers who got criminally charged all got off, um, which is crazy, um, you think. But... Um, Kudos to their to their lawyers. They use case law dating back to the eighteen nineties. Wow. When the first um, the first um, police profile, what a police can can't do, um, and so that legislation's now been changed. And if it happened again, um, you know, um, I'm sure you would see, um, you know, a, a conviction or a jail time or um, or that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that's um, and so since that time, I, with the media, um, I, I, I've sort of, because of what happened perhaps, um, I've sort of become the, the darling of the media, but I, I still very well aware that it's still about the story. Mm. <laughs> and at the moment, you know, it's, I think it's a, a reasonable story. Um, and, you know, we are happy to tell it and have that, public profile um but then from there we also can retreat um you know either back to Mooney ponds or um, in melbourne or back down to scarborough we live on scarborough beach so we spend a lot of time down there when we're back and forward um and we spend time with family and friends you know in both both cities um so it's a it's a nice mix at the moment yeah before we wrap up i do want to ask 
and please, if you don't want to answer, that is totally fine. Where are you at with your kids now? Um, it's a work in progress. Um, uh, and to be honest, there's still a considerable amount of work to do with two of my children. Um, my son, who was there at the coalface when it all happened, um, he organised so much staff and stood beside me um, and through the media barrage stood strong and stood by my side. So I'm very, very grateful. Um, my other two children are not, not so much. Uh, one's a little bit older uh, than Kane and um, uh, my youngest daughter's just only just 24 now. Um, so take it back four years ago if you're 2021 and that gets plastered on on papers um and how i was acting at the time before that um you know really made for a um you know a hard time with um with our relationship um but before that it was it was gold i loved it i spent most days with my kids, um, I had a great relationship with them. So um, hopefully one one day, um, and it'll be in their time, not not when I'm ready. You know, I, I just keep working on myself to be the best person that I can. So when they're ready in their own time, um, you know, one day we'll be sitting around the Christmas dinner table with both Donna and I, all our kids, um, our grandkids. That would be pretty much utopia for us. Well, I really hope that happens for you. You really deserve it. I mean, you've been through so much. I know we've focused on all of these things that have happened in your life, these really terrible things, but I do want to know what has been your proudest moment in your life? Um, my three children. That, that, and that, that's by far and away. Um, above, above anything, um, you know, the best things in life aren't things. Um, yeah, they're my my three beautiful kids, and I'm so very proud of. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting to me. I'm a little bit emotional. <laughs> That's okay. Um, that just really got me in the feels, like you yeah. said before, got me in the feels. But um, that was so inspiring. You're amazing, and I'm just hoping that everybody watches this and takes away what I just got from that. So mm. thank you. No, I feel very privileged and thank you for the opportunity to chat and to, you know, help tell my story and get people to watch this great film that I think will really help the community in lots of different ways. So thank you. Thanks for calling the Entertainment Hotline with Anita Annabelle. You can find us on Instagram at the entertainment underscore hotline pod or visit us at chatter.com.au. The Entertainment Hotline with Anita Annabelle is a proud Chatter podcast.